Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of What's Next Live on LinkedIn. My name is Tiffany Bova, and I couldn't be more thrilled than to have Erica Duan here with me today, the author of the amazing book, Digital Body Language, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but before we get started, we always have to do bullish and bearish. So before we get into the serious stuff, three questions, bullish or for it, bearish or against it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, going to space as a tourist, bullish or bearish? Bullish. Oh, would you go? If it wasn't 28 million, would you go? Really? Yes. I'm not sure. I, can't I think I might go around the earth, but I don't know about like going and visiting other planets. I'm not sure yet. I would be I would be cool with being in the space shuttle on the planet, maybe not walking around with the creatures, but maybe parking on Mars. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Next one. Using AI to write a book. Perish. Well, can I change it? I mean, it's sort of a bull bear because it's how, uh, you know, AI can help reduce those routine tasks. Like, uh, like all those citations I ha would have to do, but, but not, but bearish when it comes to human ingenuity and making sure that I'm not losing the, the power of my own thinking when data is coming in through the power of human machine collaboration. All righty. Um, before we get to the third one, everyone who's watching, you know, please post your questions. Tell us where you're visiting from for our live audience. Uh, it'll be great to sort of see where everybody's joining us from around the world. All right. The third one. Are you ready? Would you have a robot dog? No, bearish. <laughs> I mean, dogs are for love and human connection. And I, I think that maybe some will love robot dogs, but not me. Okay, fair enough. So we, we, we'll go hang out on Mars, but not with the little creatures. <laughs> That's right. We have a bull bear. Use AI for citations, but for nothing else in the book. Okay. All right. And the third is no robot dog. No robot dog. All right. Fantastic. Let's get to the let's get to the question at hand. So um, you have written this fantastic book that I think has become a bestseller across so many lists, which congratulations. I know that writing a book is a lift. So good on you. And I think it's your second because you were a co-author for Get Things Done. Right. So this is your second book. But why don't you give our listeners just a minute or so of sort of who you are, what you do day to day and how you landed at becoming an author? I grew up as a shy and introverted Indian kid in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents were Indian immigrants, which meant at home, Tiffany, we spoke Hindi. So when I got to school, I struggled with accented English. I was the quietest kid in class. And I remember actually one of the things that I was able to do because I was so quiet was really be a, an observant uh, person when it came to others. I would watch the popular girls with their heads high, the cool kids slouching during school assemblies. And it really helped me understand as I tried to navigate two cultures, two languages, is that it's not what we say, it's how we say it. I remember being at home and watching Bollywood movies and the the actors and actresses were you know, reading the entire storyline in, in Hindi and I didn't know exactly what they were saying, but I could read the entire storyline through body language. And fast forward 30 years, I became an expert in communication and body language. But, if, but something happened about four to five years ago. I kept hearing the same questions from my clients, questions like, why is there so much misunderstanding at work? And how do we better connect with different ages and working styles? 
And one of the things I realized was that there was no rule book for the body of our language in a digital world. Just like I was an immigrant to traditional body language as a kid, the head nod, the eye roll, the lean in. Today, we are all immigrants to digital body language because our language isn't disappeared in a digital world, it is transformed. Some of us are using digital body language blindly or accidentally. So the goal of this book is to bring a set of rules and understanding of the signals we're sending, even if we don't intend to, but most importantly, create that culture of inclusion regardless of the person, regardless of distance. Well, you even have somebody visiting or joining us today from India. So there you go. So we've got and someone from Detroit. So we've got right. a global audience listening to you, uh, you know, and I'm sure supporting your work. But one thing you said there is, you know, that you started writing this book pre-pandemic, right? You started writing it in 2018. Yes. Um, even though the timing was perfect, like serendipitous, you know, unfortunately, a global pandemic. But on the flip side, what a perfect book from a timing perspective, because I think you found in your work that there was this increase of miscommunication in person, even, you know, and in email and in phone calls and then in kind of text messages and chat. And I'm going to guess from that point to today, it's gotten worse. And so what, what have you found? That's right. So back in 2015, I published my first book called Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. And I really, after that, traveled the world for the last six, seven years, helping clients build 21st century collaboration skills in their workplaces to connect with clients and customers. And what I found was, as I worked with teams, a lot of the ways we talked about collaboration meant more meetings, more emails, uh, and also terrible meetings, terrible emails. I'll never forget, pre-pandemic, I was on a conference call. Three of us were remote. Three people were in the office. It wasn't until the 26th minute of a 30-minute meeting that someone in the office said, does anyone on the phone have something to share? We had been excluded the entire time. Or another example of a leader sending a message to his boss pre-pandemic saying, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And his boss responds, yes. Now, in today's world, what I really identified is the rise of miscommunication is not just a productivity issue. It is killing creativity, innovation, engagement, and inclusion. And it's getting in the way of now lost profits. Just in the last year of the pandemic, I ran a study that showed that on average, employees are wasting four hours per week on poor, unclear, or confusing digital communication. So if you didn't think this mattered pre-pandemic, and it did then, <laughs> It matters more than ever now as we move to hybrid work, where actually the integration of traditional body language and digital body language matters as we navigate meetings with attendees in the room where we have to make eye contact with attendees coming in on video screen from anywhere, frankly, for, you know, practically now. Yeah, and I think it, it couldn't be more true in the sense that <clears throat> I always felt like well, that email was completely misunderstood. Like, that's not what I meant to say based on the response that I would get. So then I started to be much more self-aware of how I wrote, what I wrote, the tone I wrote. And then I got exhausted <laughs> trying to be like, okay, am I, you know, am I making sure I'm hitting all the things in the right way and yeah. asking with the right, you know, and it's exhausting because some yes. people have different communication styles. Some people are like short to the point. Yeah. Other people like, like to communicate a little bit more, you know, lengthy. Other people use, you know, uh, uh, could be acronyms and you're like, I don't even know what that stands for, right. right? And so how do you think, you know, as all of us now, many, depending on where you are in the world, right? India is having a terrible time right now. Unlock, you've got Melbourne that's locked down. You've got Europe starting to open back up. For those that are gonna to continue to work from anywhere yeah. in this hybrid world, especially for, I'm, I'm not that talkative, 
when I'm at a table with people, I'm not talking about me, obviously. However, there are people who yeah. aren't talkative, right? And then it found themselves really actually inspired during this time because it became much more level. So what do you see? You know, what, what have we learned during the last 14 months that we can apply going forward? I think that the last year has allowed us to be more innovative and more inclusive when we're using digital body language carefully than we've ever been in the past. Tiffany, in the last year, I've been hearing from introverts who have told me, I finally feel heard in the meeting through the virtual chat tool. I don't have to fight for my voice to be heard. There's no turn taking. And I was struggling for airtime, having to worry about my body language in an office or in that big meeting. Today, my boss hears from me more actively in the meeting. And I, I, I am not so caught up with how I'm showing up with a lot of those body cues. Another example, I'm seeing teams breaking silos in different ways. One client I know is doing virtual office hours where people are kind of co-working and doing those drive-by coffee chats, but they're doing it in a virtual way. And for the first time ever, they're including people that aren't in the New York City headquarters. The team members in Baltimore, the team members in San Francisco are joining these chats. They were never included. And this is actually allowing these teams to break silos, to understand who is doing what, to change those dynamics, because we didn't have that self-awareness uh, in, in the same way of what it's like to not be in the room. I'm also seeing innovations in how we break we break silos across differences. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, one, one leader I know runs a global team. And she was on regular Zoom calls with global team members. She's in New York. She has team members in London, San Francisco, Buenos Aires, and uh, Sydney, Australia. And she found that her Buenos Aires colleague was not engaging often online. And at first, she thought maybe he's multitasking. Then she thought maybe he didn't care. Finally, she said, I should stop assuming and ask. And when she asked him, he finally said, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents when English oh. is not my native language, an American accent, a British accent, and, a and an Australian accent at the exact same time. So what they started doing is they used Zoom closed captioning, and they started to actively use the chat tool to create that dynamic, to slow things down. And they always send email summaries at the end of meetings to make sure everyone was on the same page, which I like to say is like the new virtual handshake, the quick email recap. It has transformed how they engage globally across their differences. And think about that conference call in the past where he would have had such a harder time trying to translate these three different English accents. So those quick stories are just examples to show that we can use this moment not to go back to work, but to transform work, to be more inclusive, more creative. But it requires us to use digital body language carefully and thoughtfully. Well, we actually have a question uh, I'm going to put across the bottom from Margot. Uh, she says, curious how we will co cope with the absence of a raise hand tool when we're back in a meeting room together. Will we raise our hands and carefully wait turns? <laughs> you know what? I think that one one practice that I share in my new book, Digital Body Language, and, and that I think anyone can do now is a quick exercise with their team asking two questions. First, what has worked really well in the pandemic in our digital shift shift of working that we want to continue as we go back to hybrid work? Whether it's we're going to keep using the virtual chat even in hybrid meetings to avoid turn taking or uh, we'll use the hand raising tool actually as the way to know who wants to speak first instead of being so visually biased to who's the tallest in the room, who's the majority in the room, who looks like the 
the person that's showing the most confidence, which often biases us around who's going to speak next. And, and use the chat to make sure we're calling on people or using hand raising or using emojis or these other symbols um, as actually fun ways to engage in traditional and digital body language. I think it will really involve some thoughtfulness uh, and intentionality. Otherwise, people will default to poor behaviors from the past that really won't allow us all to set us forward. Well, and, and uh, Jim actually piled on and said, uh, and hey, Jim, thanks for joining. Uh, great question. I'm wondering what we learned on video that we can apply to in-person. So what have we learned in this medium that we could potentially apply when we get back to uh, more face-to-face? There's a lot of things I think that we've learned in video. And maybe, Tiffany, I'll ask you, what have you learned from video that we can apply face-to-face? Um, I, I think that... It's a bit counterintuitive, but one of the things that I think um, most people, including me, have learned from a year of video calls is that having the best the best meetings relies on us all to stop thinking like office meeting hosts where we can just sort of walk in and shuffle together an agenda last minute and not be thoughtful about how we're going to engage introverts and extroverts and those with different backgrounds in the meeting. And instead, we have to think more like TV show hosts (laughs) last year where we have TV show hosts have a clear agenda before they design their meeting for engagement. They cold call on people to make sure they're hurt. They've heard from different people. They cut people off that they're going too long to make sure they can hit the next segment. And they always summarize themes of what they've heard and end with what's happening next. And we've had to actually be forced to be better, better meeting hosts on video. And I hope that that's one key lesson that we're gonna take away and bring back. Every meeting should have an agenda. We should always clarify why is everyone in this meeting and what next steps are at the end and be thoughtful of how we are going to engage and pull out individuals to speak, not assume that they're gonna give us the cue on whether they're what they're ready to engage. The one thing I hope that we learn again from face-to-face is how to do eye contact again. We've been looking at a camera for a year and I do believe that our digital body language is going to impact how we show up. Uh, So being thoughtful of making sure you do give others eye contact again is going to be a skill that we have to almost practice and learn again. Yeah. And I would say that I agree with you when it comes to video. I I like the fact that now we've also done a, it doesn't need to be a half hour or an hour. It could be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 10 minute meeting. I love it. Right. And, and I think that that is a great thing that's come out of it because it doesn't, you don't need to fill a half hour. Like, you know, so I, I think I hope that that sticks. Uh, the other thing is what you described around knowing what the agenda is. But you said something right at the end of that that I wanted to call out is when you get invited to a meeting, you know, people always ask, you know, I'm trying to uncover kind of what my superpower is or what value I add is ask people why they actually invite you to the meeting. Like, yes. why'd you invite me to the meeting? Because if you invited me from my point of view and then I don't get a chance to share it, why am I here? Right. And so, you know, also part of this is uh, as the moderator or the host of a meeting, right, the person, it's your job to make sure that you're pulling people in and paying attention to those cues on or off camera, because um, that's where uh, some people get lost, right, if they don't, in fact, you know, get an opportunity to speak. That's right. I mean, digital body language is not about how you show up simply on a video screen. It's about how you make others feel in a modern marketplace. And a lot of that is understanding that engagement looks different 
And we have to be thoughtful about it. Even simple things like knowing when to not respond to a passive aggressive email and pick up the phone to assume good intent and, and reinforce that positive nature of the discussion or to know when to stop having 30 person video calls where you really only need six people there to make the decisions and all 24 of the other people just need an email recap so that they're clear on what happened in the meeting. These are things that will actually allow people to be valued even more. And in fact, in my book, the first law of digital body language I share is value visibly, which in today's world is valuing people's time in boxes and schedules. And, and if we can take a chance to remember that empathy is actually writing thoughtful emails that get to the point quickly, not 5 million different things or unclear subject lines, we will actually show good presence and it will lead to boost sales and profits in businesses. That's great. And, and I want to pivot a little bit because, you know, first of all, uh, I recommend everybody go out and buy the book um, because so that you can learn sort of better habits for digital body language and the things and the tools that you can use, you know, individually to show up. You know, uh, one thing you said that that I found fascinating and I'm just going to let this sit for a second is I can't wait to see you, period question mark, exclamation part, you know, wink with a heart, like means something totally different with exclamation part, question mark, wink with a heart, like, right, it's the same words. And so we have to think differently about how we communicate, especially in this uh, shortened emoji acronym world, That's you know, funny. because sometimes it will backfire, you know, and, and I find myself you know, if you've ever done this, like saying, yeah, okay, I'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. And it's a work call. You're like, sorry, sorry. I mean, <laughs> that's right. In fact, one study showed if you put a period at the end of a text, about roughly half of individuals that tend to be digital natives will think that you're passive aggressive or angry. The other 50 will just think you're using good grammar. Uh, another example, especially in text exchanges and sometimes in emails too, all caps messages, like what does this mean? Or send me this now for some can feel like excitement. For others, it can feel like shouting and for others, it can feel like urgency. And if you're my father, who's 75 years old, when he sends an all caps message, it's because he doesn't know how to uncaps on the keyboard. So, you know, we have to remember that all of these cues, there isn't just one digital body language, there are languages. This is like learning in different foreign countries and much like regional accents or dialects. We have to be thoughtful of our own digital body language we're sending. And we also have to assume good intent and not get emotionally hijacked when we get ambiguous messages from others. What a perfect segue to my next question, which I think this is the first time that we've had five generations working at the same time. And you could argue now we might be at the sixth because, you know, That's teenagers right. are starting to work um, and the young generation um, and people are working longer, right? So, but I know for sure the World Economic Forum says it's five, but I wonder if it's now six. But so let's, you've got five generations that have very different communication styles, right? It was Western Union people. Yes. Using smartphones to text message, right? That is a big swoop. And for those of you who don't know what Western Union is, look it up, right? <laughs> the rest of it is, so how do you navigate? As I was saying that sometimes I feel exhausted when I'm, I'm really trying to be not tone deaf and empathetic. And did I answer all the questions? You know, I'm trying to do what I can do. Um, but there's also a mix of generational expectations that tend to catch me up. How, how do you advise people who have teams that are multi-generational or clients or, you know, especially when you literally have five, you know, and you've sort of crossed the entire spectrum. What That's do you recommend right. people do? Uh, I'll give you a few tips. 
And I'll also ground it into examples from some of my clients. So one, uh, one leader I know named Adette, she runs a fast-paced um, agency, and um, she hired a sales coach who I would call a digital adapter, someone that's not a digital native, didn't grow up with digital body language as a convention, is, is more of a, a baby boomer, traditional sales coach. And, and this coach said, you know, to get to new clients, you got to pester them by calling them on the phone, you know, call them out of the blue, try to catch them at one-off times. What she found was that no one picked up the phone because her initial thought was most of her clients were millennials who hated phone calls out of the blue, who wanted to be scheduled in with a thoughtful, you know, availability Calendly link and, and have the least human interaction to get on that phone call. So after that failed, she quickly adapted her model and sent a thoughtful email with a Calendly link to have individuals sign up. She got wonderful results because she just got to the cool point quickly. And what that story, what I really want to show in that story is what I found in my research is across generations, we are not the same and we have different preferences in digital body language. On one end of the perspective, we have what I call digital natives. These are those that love text IM, chat, they think that period at the end of a text means you're angry. They hate voicemail. They'll never check it. They probably won't hire you if you have an Earthlink or Hotmail account. The other end of the spectrum are who I call digital adapters. Digital adapters are those where actually face-to-face -face body language was the majority of how they worked prior to the pandemic. They can't wait to get back to the office, more reluctance with new technology. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. My father is a digital adapter. When he sends me a text, it starts with Dear Erica and ends with Love Dad. And I have to scroll through it because it's as long as a letter. I haven't quite taught him that a text is not the same as a letter. But, you know, what I found is that we are not all the same. And it's not just by generation. Even, you know, though I know 50-year-olds that are digital natives. I know 35-year-olds that are digital adapters. But what is important is to talk about these differences. I have a quiz in the book so you can understand your own style and your team styles. And I recommend you quiz. There you go. It's right there. So that you can understand and have discussions around this. Natives will send a thoughtful email to their boss who is an adapter. And then adapter will say, let's get on the phone to discuss. And the native will be like, why can't you just answer my email so I can get back to the work? And the adapter will feel like, why don't you just pick up the phone so I can get back to work? We have to understand that this is like learning a new language. And really it starts by understanding our differences and then go coming to the work around what will best serve the work versus our preferences. Yeah, and well said. And I think, you know, the, the questionnaire is uh, sort of your emails are, you prefer, yeah. your texting style is, when you get a voicemail, when it comes to emojis, Zoom is whatever, right? And Zoom has become the new verb, like Kleenex. So Zoom now means that, right? And you answer that, but I think you go back, you know, I, I, I call that digital immigrant. So digital native, right? Digital immigrant, somebody who is, now I got my first cell phone at, I think I was 19. Yeah. And I got my first laptop when I was 19 and I'm 55 years old. So I was really early. Right. But there are things where I am very comfortable digitally. And then there are other things where like, I want to talk to you or I want to like, I want to make sure I understand so we can make this back and forth. The second I get into three text messages with friends, I pick up the phone. I'm like, okay, if this is three text messages deep, I want to, we could talk in two minutes. I know. And don't right? you need a friend that's a serial texter now? I have that too on the other end. And I have like voice dictation has ruined us. I'll just be like, got it. I'll respond Tuesday. Right. Like you. And so don't worry in the book. There are some tips around how do you deal with those that ghost you, the serial texters, and even those serial voicemailers that I'm like, get with the program, send me an email instead. 
Yeah, or you just don't listen to it, right? And and with all of the new communication styles, um, you know, obviously, you know, I work at Salesforce, but and we're in the process of of trying to acquire Slack, and so that's a huge communication platform, and trying to rechange, you know, and reswigger sort of how people actually will collaborate. Yeah. But what I've also found over the last sort of year and a half is people are a little burnt as well, right? There's burnout just from a pure pace, anxiety, stress, all that's been going on external to work and then compounded by everything that's happening internal at work, right? And those two things together can be really dangerous uh, for people. But when you think about how do you now, I don't know if we've found a way where we've really nailed virtual collaboration and virtual team events, you know, like the, the you know, virtual lunch and the wine tasting and the doing yeah. this is yeah. kind of gotten a little long in the tooth, right? And so what do you think there are ways in which we can find um, appropriate collaboration digital styles that keep people interested, engaged, and wanting to show up for things? I think that what is important right now to, to reinvent the water cooler is to clarify, especially as we start to move to hybrid work, the places and spaces where we need to really come together face-to-face or in hybrid formats and the pl- places and spaces where virtual will work perfectly moving forward. Because we have to be honestly, you know, real about this. There are challenges and we all saw the fatigue of the virtual happy hour. Like get to the point, I don't wanna waste my time on Zoom, I'm on Zoom, on Zoom all day long. Uh, and, and so I think at the end of the day, whether it's micro learning games, um, I've been doing things like uh, digital body language bingo, where people are, you know, playing games in some of the sessions, um, or data-led nudges at the end of meetings where um, we're looking at data, like who spoke up most in the Zoom meeting? Um, you know, who didn't you call on? So that we can be more thoughtful. I actually think that some of those practices around how we can be inclusive or how we can bring fun and humor back matter more than just having one more ha- virtual happy hour. And so I think it will start with, what what are we trying to solve for here? Is it that we need social connection and places and spaces for that and and designing for physical and digital inclusivity around that? Is it we need to get work done better? And, and that really involves intentionality around how we create a meeting that really does that. And I think it's like the TV show host, frankly. They've always had to think in sound bites. And most importantly, I, I think at the end of the day, it starts with leaders like you, Tiffany, who are really role modeling this that are that are bringing themselves not only to their work, but to their screen, showing vulnerability, creating psychological safety, sharing what they know, what they don't know, and being vulnerable on a screen versus just reading a corporate communication script. And that's, I think, something that we've all become aware, very aware of. I, I know CEOs that used to come to a town hall and just speak, reading the marketing script. Now they can't do that. They have right. to be much more real and authentic, and it shows. And the more that we start there, the better we'll be moving forward. And so how do you reconcile empathy in this way, right? Because I think that, you know, I can tell you that, like you, I do a lot of video. And some days I'll do four or five keynotes somewhere in the world. You know, I change my shirt four times. But you got to, hey, everybody, I'm so glad to see you. I wouldn't want to, you know, and you got to, it's a very big yeah. kind of almost exaggerated kind of personality because you're trying to draw people to come in. And I don't mean in a loud, right, 
a boisterous way, I mean more in an engaging way. Yeah. Um, but also being empathetic to there's sometimes now I attend meetings where I turn the camera off. My camera works, I'm fine, but I'm like, I just need a second. Like I can listen and I don't need everybody looking at the fact that I'm like in my chair with my head back, you know? Right. You might want to take notes and look down. Right. And so how do you maintain empathy in a digital world? Yeah. So this is difficult because empathy is the ability to step into another's shoes while in the same time remaining in your own shoes. And let's be honest, we can't really step into the shoes of others right now. We don't know what someone else is feeling or experiencing in the in another part of the world right now or dealing with small children versus isolated or having the best time of their lives in the last year. And I think that's important. Like it, it, that's the, the grounding. I think empathy today is about valuing others visibly, showing that you've heard them, that you've listened. And so when I'm presenting, a lot of times I'm, I'm constantly asking people to share their thoughts in the chat. What did you take away from this lesson? Did you experience this before? What's the key lesson that you're experiencing? I'd like everyone to share in the chat right now. And really, we have to almost draw it out of them. It can be difficult. Uh, but when presenting, I really recommend that yeah. because it does matter. And even simple things, and Tiffany, you know this because you do it so well, looking into the camera, even though you can't see them, they feel a better connection to you, especially at the beginning of meetings. Now, when it comes to regular team meetings, I'm a big fan of not having video all the time. I recommend even have video an agreement. Video's on for the first five minutes. So you create that emotional connection and then you go off video, especially when there's a screen share for most of the time uh, or the final 10 minutes when it's actually a gallery view mode discussion. I think forcing people to worry about their backgrounds for an hour versus the content is actually a waste versus creating value. Well, even that simple idea you just gave, right? Five minutes up front, everyone's yeah. on camera bulk of it so you're taking notes whatever you're doing i love the the comment about you know put feedback in the chat which um i use that all the time you know as even here like post your questions um, but i actually ask for what you got out of it and what you didn't agree with what i just said because that's where really good you know it's instead of just like tell me what you agree with is not a great conversation starter right it's kind of like, maybe we can do that today what's one thing attendees got out of this and what's yeah what's sure please post from you every day tiffany <laughs> this feeling is mutual well we've got one last question here uh from india um, today is not just data, but people are in silos too. Is it true? It is true. A phone call is worth a thousand emails. Is it true? I think, I think a phone call is definitely worth a thousand emails. I mean, do you agree? Remember the lost art of the phone call? Like the beauty? Remember when it was okay to respond to a voicemail in a week? You know, so much of our communication is just sped up where if we don't hear back from someone by text within three hours, we worry. If someone doesn't jump in on that Zoom call within two seconds, we think they're on mute. I think we need to slow down to speed up. Less haste equals more speed. And that involves not just rushing ourselves, it's creating groupthink, but instead choosing thoughtfulness over hastiness. And one simple example of that is knowing when to pick up the phone after an endless email reply that can not only you know address maybe a, a communication challenge, but more importantly, show empathy to others and reduce a potentially damaging situation uh, when you don't have those tone or, or that, that body yeah. language like you right. would face-to-face -face or through voice pitch. Yeah, and I would tell you that, um, you know, do someone a favor today. Here's the big nugget advice. Do someone a favor today and move them to BCC. 
That's right. I have one more thing for you, Tiffany. Okay. Not only move them to email BCC, I've also initiated what I call the Zoom BCC. Okay. So a big meeting and you finished something for a couple people on the team and they don't need to be on that meeting anymore, go into the chat and write BCC, John, Sarah, Emily. And they don't need to say bye, like this awkward bye and step out. They, they can casually leave the, leave the meeting. And they yeah, don't have pressure to stay. This will avoid wasting a lot of time and also avoid multitasking. Oh, love that idea. All right, one last question. We could I keep going. I said, I promise we'll keep it to 30 minutes and look at us, we got all these questions. All right, from Aiden. Does it need to be a video chat? We do so much on calls before. One-on-ones are good on a walking call. I like the idea, Erica says, of an initial hello on video, but after that, do we need to be face-to-face? I think, you know, the last year video calls have been the norm, not the exception. And I think that's a big mistake. Now we kind of like reverse engineered because we couldn't be face to face. Now is the time to reset and talk about what should be video, what's what's much better on phone, what's good on email and such. Not everything has to be a 30 minute video call. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a client who wanted to meet me um, before they were considering having me speak in an event on digital body language. And I said, okay, I'll be, it'll be audio only. And they said, she must be on video. And they didn't understand I was going to be in an airport with a mask on waiting for a flight to take this, this call. And, you know, I felt a lot of pressure, honestly, I had to join in with a mask on, on video. And, and I think that we haven't gotten to that empathy that we can't all be on the screen all the time. And that there are certain things that are, this one wasn't one that really required and right. on video presence. And so this is the moment to actually think again, you know, take a step back and, and reflect on when, when we really need it and when we don't. Well, someone gave uh, a great uh, comment that like silently leaving Clubhouse, right? How you just yes. kind of quietly leave. But I love that BCC idea, you know, please take that in a video call. If you're done with a someone section, like let them out. Think about those 20 minute meetings you know, and 40 minute meetings, not hour meetings, you know, video on, say hello, video off, like there's all kinds of ways, but you know, we have to be aware that if you start to notice someone not coming on camera over and over and over, check in on them, you know, so the the lost art of phone calls is also the lost art of checking in on people um, and or writing a thank you note, which, you know, look that up too, if you don't, don't know what that goes is. a long way, just the handwritten note. Another quick tip is, a quick thank you note within 30 minutes of a, a virtual meeting. Sometimes speed matters just as much as substance when it comes to thank yous. Well, this has been fantastic, Erica. I have enjoyed it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said yes. I'm so glad you said yes. I'm so grateful to join you, Tiffany. And uh, how can people keep in touch? And obviously go out and buy your book, Digital Body Language, but how can they keep in touch with your work? Uh, you know, you can find me at ericadewan.com and on my website at ericadewan.com slash digital body language. I have a whole community of downloads and tools so you can continue to use digital body language best practices from the book with your teams and in your workplaces. And uh, I hope that you'll join me. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But most importantly, uh, check out the book, gift it to your boss, your colleague, your client, your partner, your kids, your grandparents. We all uh, need to master this skill, just like we learned traditional body language in the past. I hope you'll join me in, in engaging in the importance of digital body language now. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Oh, thank you. I am grateful for you. Thanks everybody for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.